0: Hello, this is Danita Platt with Platt Family, and this is Volume 1 of um, Charlotte Mason's Home Education. Preface to the Home Education Series. The educational outlook is rather misty and depressing, both at home and abroad. That science should be a staple of education. That the teaching of Latin, of modern languages, of mathematics must be reformed, that nature and handicrafts should be pressed into service for the training of the eye and hand, that boys and girls must learn to write English and therefore must know something of history and literature, and on the other hand that education must be made more technical and utilitarian, these and such as these are the cries of expedience with which we take the field." but we have no unifying principle no definite aim in fact no philosophy of education as a stream can rise no higher than its source so it is probable that no educational effect i'm sorry effort can rise above the whole scheme of thought which gives it birth and perhaps this is the reason of all the failings from us vanishings failures and disappointments which mark our educational records. Those of us who have spent many years in pursuing the benign and elusive vision of education perceive her approaches as regulated by a law that this law has yet to be evoked. We can discern its outlines, but no more. We know that it is pervasive there is no part of a child's home life or school work which the law does not penetrate. It is illuminating, too, showing the value or lack of value of a thousand systems and expedients. It is not only a light, but a measure, providing a standard whereby all things, small and great, belonging to educational work must be tested. The law is liberal, taking in Whatsoever things are true, honest, and of good report and offering no limitation or hindrance, save where excess should endure. And the path indicated by the law is continuous and progressive, with no transition stage from cradle to the grave, except that maturity takes up the regular self-direction to which immaturity has been trained. We shall doubtless find when we Apprehend the law that certain German thinkers Kant's, Herbart's, Lotz, Frobel, are justified, that as they say it is necessary to believe in God, that therefore the knowledge of God is the principal knowledge and the chief end of education. By one more character shall we be able to recognize the perfect law of educational liberty when it shall be made evident. It has been said that the best idea which we can form of absolute truth is that it is viable to meet every condition by which it can be tested. This we shall expect of our law, that it shall meet every test of experiment and every test rational investigation. Not having received the tablets of our law, we fall back upon Frobel or upon Herbart or, if you belong to another school, upon Locke or Spencer, but we are not satisfied, a discontent Is it a divine discontent is upon us, and assuredly we should hail a workable, effectual philosophy of education as a deliverance from such perplexity. Before this great deliverance comes to us, it is probable that many tentative efforts will be put forth, having more or less of the characters of philosophy, notably having a central idea, a body of thought with various members working in vital harmony. Such a theory of education, which need not be careful to call itself a system of psychology, must be in harmony with the thoughts and movements of the age, must regard education not as a shut off compartment but as being as much a part of life as birth or growth, marriage or work, and it must leave the pupil attached to the world at many points of contact. It is true that educationalists are already eager to establish such contact in several directions, but their efforts rest upon an axiom here and an idea there, and there is no broad, unifying basis of thought to support the whole. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread, and the hope that there may be tentative efforts towards a philosophy of education and that all of them will bring us nearer to the magnum opus encourages me to launch one such attempt. The central thought, or rather body of thought, upon which I found is that somewhat obvious fact that the child is a person with all the possibilities and powers included in personality. Some of members which develop from this nucleus have been exploited from time to time by educational thinkers and exist vaguely in the general common sense, a notion here, another there. One thesis, which is perhaps new, that education is the science of relations, appears to me to solve the question of curricula as showing that the object of education is to put a child in living touch as much as may be of the life of nature and of thought. Add to this one or two keys to self-knowledge and the educated youth goes forth with some ideas of self-management, with some pursuits and many vital interests. My excuse for venturing to offer a solution, however tentative and passing, to the problem of education is twofold. For between 30 and 40 years, I have labored without pause to establish a working and philosophic theory of education. And in the next place, each article of the educational faith I offer has been arrived at by inductive processes and has, I think, been verified by a long and wide series of experiments. It is, however, with sincere deference that I venture to offer the results of this long labor because I know that in this field, there are many laborers far more able and expert than I angels who fear to tread so precarious is the footing but if only poor encourager less or trace i append to a short synopsis of education theory advanced in the volumes of the home education series the treatment is not methodic but incidental here a little there a little as seem to me most likely to meet the occasions of parents and teachers. I should add that in the course of a number of years, the various essays have been prepared for the use of the Parents National Education Union in the hope that society might witness for a more or less coherent body of educational thought. The consequence of truth is great, therefore the judgment of it Must not be negligent. Which coat? 1. Children are born persons. 2. They are not born either good or bad, but with possibilities for either good or evil. 3. The principle of authority on the one hand and obedience on the other are natural. Necessary and fundamental, but these principles are limited by the respect due to the personality of children, which must not be encroached upon, whether by fear or love, suggestion or influence, or any undue play upon any one natural desire. Number five. Therefore, we are limited to three educational instruments, the atmosphere of environment, the discipline of habit, and the presentation of living ideas. Number six, by the saying, education is an atmosphere, it is not meant that a child should be isolated in what may be called a child environment, especially adapted and prepared but that we should take into account the educational value of his natural home atmosphere, both as regards the persons and things, and should let him live freely among his proper conditions. It stultifies a child to bring down his world to a child's level. Number seven, by education is a discipline, is meant the discipline of habits Formed definitely and thoughtfully whether habits of mind or body. Physiologists tell us of the adaptation of brain structure to habitual lines of thoughts, i. e. to our habits. In the saying that education is a life, the need of intellectual and moral, as well as of physical sustenance is implied. The mind feeds on ideas, therefore children should have a generous curriculum. But the mind, number nine, is not a receptacle into which ideas must be dropped, each idea adding to the apperception mass of its like, the theory upon which the Herbatian doctrine of interest rests, the Herbartian doctrine of interest rests. Number ten, on the contrary... A child's mind is no mere sack to hold ideas, but is rather, if the figure may be allowed, a spiritual organism with an appetite for all knowledge. This is its proper diet with which it is prepared to deal and which it can digest and assimilate as the body does food. Number 11. This difference is not a verbal quibble. The Hibbardian doctrine lays the stress of education, the preparation of knowledge in enticing morsels presented in due order, upon the teacher. Children taught upon this principle are in danger of receiving much teaching with little knowledge, and the ch- and the teacher's axiom is. What a child learns matters less than how he learns it. Number 12, but believing that the normal child has powers of mind that fit him to deal with all knowledge proper to him, we must give him a full and generous curriculum, taking care only that the knowledge offered to him is vital. That is, the facts are not presented without their informing ideas. Out of this conception comes the principle that, number 13, education is the science of relations. That is, that a child has natural relations with a vast number of things and thoughts, so we must train him upon physical exercise, nature, handicrafts, and science and art And upon many living books, for we know that our business is not to teach him all about anything, but to help him make valid as many as may be of those firstborn affinities that fit our new existence to existing things. Fourteen. There are also two secrets of moral and intellectual self-management which should be offered to children. These we may call the way of the will and the way of reason. 15, the way of the will. Children should be taught A, to distinguish between I want and I will. B, that the way to will effectively is to turn our thoughts from that which we desire, but do not will. C, that the best way to turn our thoughts is to think of or do some quite different thing, entertaining or interesting. D, that after a little rest in this way, the will returns to its work with new vigor. This adjunct of the will is familiar to us as diversion whose office is to ease us for a time from the will effort that we may will again with added power. The use of suggestion even self-suggestion as an aid to the will is to be deprecated as tending to stultify and stereotype character. It would seem that spontaneity is a condition of development and that human nature needs the discipline of failure as well as of success. Number 16, the way of reason. We should teach children to not to lean too confidently onto their own understanding because of the function of reason is to give logical demonstration, A, of mathematical truth, and be of an initial idea accepted by the will. In the former case, reason is perhaps an infallible guide, but in the second, it is not always a safe one. For whether that initial idea be right or wrong, reason will confirm it by irrefragable truths. Number 17, therefore, Children should be taught, as they become mature enough to understand such teaching, that the chief responsibility which rests on them as persons is the acceptance or rejection of initial ideas. To help them in this choice, we should give them principles of conduct and a wide range of knowledge fitted for them. These three principles 15, 16, and 17 should save children from some of the loose thinking and headless actions which cause most of us to live at a lower level than we need. 18. We should allow no separation to grow between the intellectual and spiritual life of children. We should teach them that the divine spirit has constant access to their spirits and is their continual helper in all the interests, duties, and joys of life. The home education series is so called from the title of the first volume and not as dealing wholly or principal with home as opposed to school education.